I think there's an interesting concept that one of my coaches has shared. It's called a conveyor belt, which is super, super simple, but it makes a lot of sense. Conveyor belt goes like this. You purchase an asset and you put it on the conveyor belt year one. It's moving along, it's generating some cash flow, maybe some asset management fees. So you're making a few bucks. It's not like changing money, but it's moving down your conveyor belt. And maybe in five years, that's the time when it's going to come off the conveyor belt. You're going to cash out from raising the income, you know, the NOI of the property. And maybe that spills into two assets to put back on the conveyor belt. So the goal, obviously, is to have a lot of assets on your conveyor belt. This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. This is the show where we believe that the best way to financial independence is by creating multiple streams of passive income. And the best, most proven way to build passive income is through real estate investing. Today, our guest is Tony Castronovo. And today we're talking about his escape from the W-2 world through real estate investing. He started as a real estate investor in 2014 by convincing his wife to cash out their 401k and start investing in, in real estate. We go through his journey doing that first deal, how he did the deal, how he made the time because he was a very busy professional back in the day, then how he scaled up into multifamily and what he's doing now that helped him escape his W-2 back in 2021, what he's doing today, and so much more. If you're out there, you're a busy professional, he was a management consultant, for example, you don't know how to make the time, well, believe it, you can make the time. He made the time, he had twin boys, he was a management consultant, and still able to make the time to do deals, to build up enough real estate, enough equity, enough deals, to get out of his W-2. It very much is possible. And today we're learning about Tony's story to get him out of his W-2. Great stuff. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically multifamily and self-storage properties. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and would like to learn about hearing about our future deals, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call, and we will look forward to speaking with you soon. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating interview on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank a little higher than the Apple Podcast ecosystem. People see your reviews and they think, hey, this person learned something. I bet I could learn something too. And you know what? That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. You're building passive cash flow on Main Street through the lessons that you learn from the show. And that is what we love to see. That's what this show is all about, helping you build multiple streams of passive income through real estate investing. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. And if you know anyone who could use a little more passive wealth in their lives, please do share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Once again, our guest today is Tony Castronovo. We're talking about his journey into real estate, cashing in his 401k, how he got started as a real estate investor and how he ultimately escaped his W-2 in 2021. Without any further ado, here we go. Tony, really excited to have you with us on the show today. Could you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your background? We're going to run through your whole story of leaving your W-2 and getting into real estate investing. Right. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on, Taylor. Uh, I'm Tony Castronovo. I'm based in the Houston, Texas area. 
I have been in the real estate space for about eight years, four exclusively in the multifamily side of things. And before being fully involved in, in real estate and going full-time, I was a management consultant for the last 25 years, working for different firms such as Accenture, Ernst & Young, and some smaller companies along the way. And that's kind of my quick intro. Awesome. So higher earning, busy professional. We were talking about this before you, we started recording. You're traveling pretty frequently, became kind of a pro at going to one of your clients, which is which is awesome. It's a lot of fun, but uh, you know, it's a lot of time on the road. Uh, so let's dig into it and, and talk about how you convinced your wife to cash out your 401k to uh, get into real estate. I love that. Yeah. You know, my, my interest in the real estate space goes way back. I think even the 2001 timeframe back then, uh, you know, one of those life gets in the way sort of stories. My kids who are now, I have twin boys. They're now 19, two stepdaughters as well. But my boys were born right around that time I was about to start real estate. And I also got a new job right then and just too many things. And so mm -hmm. I put it on pause for a while. Fast forward a little bit to about 2013, 2014. And I started reading some more books. Something sparked me. I think I was, I was working with one of my consultants who had a, a grandfather that was heavily involved in real estate, former GE, blue collar worker, built his way up, kind of working at nights and sort of thing. Uh, and and basically became a, a developer, owned his own property management firm, had a brokerage, et cetera. Basically owned, you know, major pieces of real estate. And I thought, how does a guy like that do it? And so I got very inspired. I read his autobiography. And and so I got talking with my wife and I said, Well, I would like to really start investing in real estate. Enough with the reading books and education. I've been at this for a decade. I have to start. And the the, the limiting factor at that point was, well, I've got some money in savings, but it's not really enough to go buy something, a house or whatever. So how do we how do we get started? And I know, you know, we can read all the books on uh, you know, low or or no cash, you know, <laughs> investing, right? We all have those books on our bookshelf, but the reality is that you need some money, especially if you're going to try to buy something that maybe needs some capital improvements and so forth. You've got to have some cash. So I needed to tap into a source. And at that point, I looked at my 401k and that was growing pretty well. And I thought I could take a loan against it, but I could go a lot faster if I just cashed it out even taking the penalty and paying the taxes. So, you know, ultimately that was about a 20% hit, which at the time I was like, wow, that's 20%. But I made that back in just maybe three, four years and then just kept building and building from there and never really looked back. Well, that's a lot of fun. And, you know, we'll dig into this a little bit deeper. I think the, the temptation is there. I just wanted to make sure to caution to our audience. Cashing out your 401k is definitely not the right move for everybody. It's a pretty bold strategy, uh, if you will, to go through. And you know, I want to dig into how you decided that it was the right move for you and the moves that you made once you had cashed out. But but taking that hit definitely hurts. I mean, I have some retirement uh, funds still out there that 
I'm not going to cash in. I don't uh, think, cause I, I don't want to take that 20% hit, but Hey, you went for it. So was your wife on board immediately? I mean, that's, that's a big thing is really just getting your, your spouse on board with the plan. So how did you handle, you know, discussing this with her? Yeah. I, and, and you're right. It's not for everybody. And, you know, I, I, I think it comes down to your risk appetite as well. So I've just always been a little bit more on the, the riskier side than the conservative side. Not to say I'm just, you know, out there like the wild, wild west, just hoping, you know, to, to strike it big. <laughs> I really just said, what is the most aggressive path that I'm comfortable with to get to the end result? And, and I looked at it and I said, if I want to be buying this many properties at this sort of time frame, you know, I, I could have taken the slow, methodical way. Okay, take what I had in savings, put a down payment on a house, maybe over time to do the capital improvements, and maybe in six months I'd have it ready. And and okay, I wouldn't really spend a whole lot of money doing it, and I'd have a property off to the races. But to me, I, I had a bigger plan. I had a bigger vision. And so I needed to get enough capital that I already knew I was going to buy one that's going to go to two and three and four. And I wanted to have access to something that wasn't going to hold me back at the speed that I was looking for. And I think once you get that critical mass going, I do believe in, in things that you hear like on, on bigger pockets and so forth, like the Burr strategy. I mean, I was doing that when I first started investing in single family. And that's real. I mean, you can do a burr. It's a little harder maybe these days to do like a hundred percent. We have like, you know, no money in the deal per se, but you can, you can pull out quite a bit of capital and move that to the next one. And that was just a great strategy. And that, you know, to answer your question more explicitly is sharing that plan with my wife, you know, saying, okay, here's how it works. And here's step one, and here's step eight of how we'll get there. It's a plan, and plans change over time, right? But you got to have something kind of laid out. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, I'm glad you're able to get her on board. Now, you mentioned burrs. I'd like to get a little more granular with, especially the start of this plan, the first move that you made, you know, the rough time frame, what you're investing in, all that. So let's dig into, you know, first cashing out your 401k, what did you invest it in? How did you pick that? How long did you, did it take you to find that first deal? I mean, let's, let's dig all the way into, you know, you got that money. Now you got a big albatross, you know, hanging over your head or on your back, whatever the expression is. Let's dig into that. Well, and yeah, I mean, once that money leaves your, your 401k, you know, I mean, it, it's there, it's ready. And I certainly didn't want to let it just sit there after doing all that. Uh, but I would tell you that it took a while. So funny, going back eight, nine years of when I started, I remember literally on a Saturday afternoon, driving down the road to a, a real estate brokerage and basically walking in the front door saying, I need a real estate agent. I want to buy a house. Who the heck does that? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know what caused me to do that. I think going back, I started making a few phone calls because at that time, I didn't know how to buy a house. I didn't, you know, I knew how to buy a house, but not investment property. 
So I thought, oh, well, let me reach out to some people in the space. And I started making calls. And it seemed like nobody really knew how to help somebody buy an investment property, at least in the sphere I was in in nine years ago. And so I walked down, or not walked down, I drove down to a, a brokerage office, I walked in, and here's this guy who's sitting there on a Saturday afternoon, and he's like, come into my office, and we went to the whiteboard, and we kind of mapped it all out of what I wanted to do, and so off we went. And he helped me look at 75 properties. Wow. It took four months, 22 offers to get one purchase. That guy worked so hard <laughs> for his 3%. But, you know, it was a starting point. And for anybody that knows uh, Michael Blanc's show in multifamily real estate, he's got the law of the first deal. And it's a real thing because, yeah, it took four months to get the first one. The second one came very quickly after that. I think it was like, you know, a month or two. And then after that, I was doing multiple deals a year. Awesome. So what was that first property? More specifically, you know, was it was it a single family? You know, let's tell us about the the deal. Yeah. So it, it, it's funny because I had this criteria that I gave to the real estate agent. It's at this price point, three bed, two bath, single family home. Uh, this is the geography, and I kind of mapped out, you know, like two or three zip codes. And lo and behold, uh, my wife happened to find this this first property in an area that I wasn't looking. Hmm. And the reason why I wasn't looking is that I was of the belief that I couldn't afford to buy something there. And so she happened to find one that I could afford. And so it was in a, a very nice suburban area in Houston, Texas area. It was, if I remember... I think it was like 109,000 or something like that purchase price that uh, which in in Houston, Texas 9 years ago, you know, that that's kind of a starter home. Uh I did the renovation myself, which is a whole other story we can unpack. <laughs> <laughs> Not necessarily I would advise that going forward. Uh, you know, Every property thereafter, I did less and less of the hands-on. But that first one, I just said, you know what? I have the construction background. I'm going to do it. And so I did the renovation myself. Again, that's what real estate investors do. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> no, they don't, right? But They do but, that on TV. You know, yeah, and, and that's it, right? It's very glamorized. You watch these guys on TV and you go, wow, that looks so fun. So that's what I did. And... And so anyway, I got it ready, got it on the market. We rented it. Uh, I held it for, I guess, about four years, ultimately sold it in a package of single family portfolios when I decided to move to multifamily. Awesome. Great. So did you assume you ended up refinancing in there after you added all the value? So that was the model for every property was buy it, rehab it, rent it refi and pull cash out and repeat. So typical Burr methodology. Uh, usually I was refined within 90 days. And and so it was pretty quick turn. My, my fastest, I think, was 44 days. And, and that's from buying it, renovating it, getting the tenant in place, paying wow. rent, and refinancing it. 
That's pretty fast. So regarding the numbers on that first deal, now granted, this is eight years ago in Houston, so the numbers are not going to be relevant uh, to today. But yeah. if you remember what you bought it for, how much you, uh, how much the actual work costs and all that kind of thing. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. You know, with age, you start to forget <laughs> things, right? Fair I enough. have all this clearly in the spreadsheet, and, but sorry, I didn't know we would be asking this. But I, I, I kind of, you know, rough. We're a little rough. I think it was like 109 or something thereabout, and maybe a little bit less. Uh, the rehab, because I did the work myself, was about 10K, given the estimates of, of you know, working with contractors after that. That would probably cost me about thirty to buy, you know, to to get services, and but I put about ten into it myself. As far as you know, what did it sell for? You know, not that much more, to be honest. I didn't have a lot of equity in that first one because I really didn't buy it right. I bought it retail. Mm. I just bought it on the you know off the MLS, but it basically. It, it rented for about thirteen fifty a month, if I recall. Not bad. Yeah, and it, yeah, you know, it, it had a little bit of equity over time, but ultimately it was it was just to kind of get me started. And you know, the, the the subsequent properties thereafter, I would say I was building about maybe thirty or forty k of equity in each transaction along the way. So after you do, you know, close to 10 of them, it's not so bad. You know, you're building some <laughs> equity and you get some cash flow. Nice. Nice. I love it. Well, yeah, I wouldn't expect you to remember all the numbers, you know, wrote at this point. I, I don't think I would, you know, on on, on such a deal. Uh, but I would assume uh-huh. the, the implication is that in the, with the benefit of hindsight, you would have probably bought better. And this is something that you learned on that deal, but you would have bought it a bit cheaper. You would have hired contractors to actually do the work in spite of the additional cost rather than doing it yourself. Uh, is there anything else in there that you might've changed with that strategy? Um, well, I'll add to that strategy is, is how I did the financing. So what I learned after that first one was I don't want to buy it retail, especially because I'm competing with owner occupants, which want to bid up the price, which mm-hmm. is why I put in 22 offers they weren't low ball offers. I was competing against people who wanted to move in, right? So then I learned about wholesalers and I learned I didn't want to be a wholesaler. That's just not, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to do yellow letters, direct mail campaigns and all that stuff. I'll work with a wholesaler. They make their money and I can buy something cheaper because they bought it cheaper. So I already have a better starting point. And then I would finance either through hard money or eventually I started using private money. And so that was just a baked in cost of doing business, but it was a lot faster. Hence the 44 day example is I can literally, you know, text somebody and, and have money, you know, lined up within a day. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty sweet. I mean, I was closing transactions in four days, you know, signing on the hood of a car. I mean, you know, just things that you don't think about the normal way of, of buying real estate. But when you can move fast, that really helps to soften some of the numbers. Wow. So one of the things that I think uh, one of the excuses, if you will, that a lot of busy professionals use to hold themselves back is, where am I going to find the time to do this stuff? I mean, you didn't, 
uh, leave consulting until 2021. Now we're talking about deals back in 2014. You're a dad, you are working full time. At least now you're running marathons all the time too, which we haven't even touched on. But you know, back in the day when you're first getting started, I mean, you were doing the work yourself. I mean, where in the world did you find the time to travel around with the realtor to look at the properties, make all these offers, do all the work, you know, everything involved in there? How did you uh, make that happen? Man, now that you say it, yeah, where did I find the time? <laughs> yeah, we, we can't invent the 25th hour in the day. All we can do is prioritize the time. And so, yeah, I would, I would just, uh, you know, when I was looking at properties, I would say, look, we're going we're gonna to go out from nine to 12 on this day. We're going to look at as many properties as we can and try to hammer it out and just be decisive. I, if I saw something that checked the boxes, I was putting in an offer. There was no question. And we were writing an offer, you know, like within an hour. But I mean, I'm not going to waste anybody's time. We're there to make a move. Wow. So you were really committed to the process. Like you mentioned, being decisive and and making sure you were conscious of, uh, say, like the realtor's time and also everybody else involved with the process time. So one day I'll just tell you a quick little story. So after I started kind of getting the process now i'm i'm downtown in houston texas at a client site and i get a a text from one of the wholesalers i was working with he said hey i got this property it's about to hit the board all the agents here are going to be jumping all over it but i know it checks a lot of your boxes you want it and i was like well of course i want it he's like but you gotta go see the property i'm not allowed to sell it without you seeing it like man well i'm i'm tied up in meetings all afternoon I called my wife up. I said, hey, can you go look at this property for me? You just got to look at it. She's like, I don't know what to look for. I said, the only thing you need to look for is if there's a meteor in the backyard. Otherwise, we're buying it. <laughs> and, and I know that sounds kind of brash, right? But the point is that checked on my boxes. I, I knew what we were getting into. It was in the same neighborhood that we've been working in for, for several years same price point, same wholesaler, everything was the same about it. And I had trust that this person knew what I was looking for. He wasn't going to sell me a bill of goods that, you know, I was going to go, oh my gosh, what did you just give me? We had that rapport. So I feel like sometimes you you can't sit around, you know, flip-flopping. You've got to have your, your criteria in order. You're ready to move. And that's where opportunity lies. Nice. Nice. I love that. So I want to fast forward here and, and get to, you know, the most, uh, maybe not the most exciting part of the story. I was going to say that, but accelerate to the point where you were able to, you know, leave your, your consulting job and what enabled you to do that. And, you know, scaling up sounds like you did quite a few of these uh, smaller single family deals. So you sold them off, got into multifamily, but you know, let's, let's move forward here to, uh, you know, escaping the, uh, the W2. Yeah, I, I guess if I just sort of fast forward us there. So in 2018, I was looking to buy my 10th house. And and I started looking at, okay, well, you know what? Pretty soon I'm going to have to do a portfolio loan and kind of hit the reset button on, you know, the Fannie Freddie tech of, of loans. And so, yeah, I could have done that, but it was a good inflection point for me to say, all right, is this really what I want to do? Do I want to buy number 11 and 12 and so forth? It was it was getting easy, 
but I knew I wanted to grow. So I decided I'm going to package them up. I'm going to market it myself just to get it out there. I felt confident that I could get it off market. Uh, and I sold it to a single investor, a whole portfolio of homes. And then I basically 1031 exchanged into my first multifamily. So for those that don't understand 1031, basically it's a tax deferred strategy where I can buy a like kind property, roll the proceeds from one sale into a purchase. And that's how I got into my first multifamily. That happened to be a 20 unit, which criteria was I just drew a radius around where I live and I wanted it to be within two hours. And so, you know, between that and how much I could afford back then, how could I afford? Well, I was opening my checkbook and it wasn't until 2019 I learned about syndication. So that's when I started my first syndicated deal where we bought a 60 unit multifamily through a syndication model. And if I just kind of fast forward from there, we're approaching 900 units at this point and they've all been through syndication other than that first one. To answer your question a little bit more direct, in 2021, I decided to leave corporate America, my consulting job, not because my passive income was was matching my active income, but just because I felt that it was the right time and I knew that I could really launch it to another level if I just put in a full-time focus to it. Mm, okay. So how is your focus your additional focus changed the the business and your results. I mean, we've we're 2022 now, right? So <laughs> gotta be pushing forward faster. Yeah. I mean, I guess uh from 80 to 800 between 2021, 2022. Wow. That's how it pushed it forward. Wow. Wow. So did that additional focus produce like additional partnerships that helped you? Like what was the the real change, not just the time, right? But you obviously changed something about your strategy that enabled you to start adding all these additional units and deals. Yeah, I think you you touched on some partnerships. So in the first deal, it was all me. And the second deal, when it was a syndication and I didn't really understand everything that I would need, but I, I knew I needed somebody to sign on the loan to help me with the net worth and so forth. I brought on one partner. It was just somebody that I knew that was in the business and made sense. But then in 2021, what was that different thing? I, I decided it was finally time to invest in me and, and my education and not just try to do everything DIY, you know, learn by trial and error. And so I joined a mentoring program. And even though that was the hardest 20K I parted with at the time, I was like, I can't believe I'm spending this kind of money. <laughs> I could put that into a deal. That was definitely money well worth it. It paid for itself in literally three months, two months after I got that first deal thereafter. So I, I joined a program in August of 2021. And in December of 21, we closed on, on my first deal that basically you know paid for that in spades nice nice awesome so great what are you what are the next moves then like now that you're you're out of w2 you're focusing what do you see moving forward you're obviously adding units doing you know partnering with p- 
people to do bigger deals? Is it just keep executing on the model? I mean, what do you see? You're building out your team. What's ahead? Yeah, great question. So I think that I've learned a lot in the last 11 months being totally focused as an entrepreneur and not having that safety net, if you will, of a paycheck coming in every two weeks, right? Somebody paying, you know, for my health care and all these great benefits. And so now I'm, I'm, you know, a year into learning how to deal with all that. I think there's an interesting concept that one of my coaches has shared. It's called a conveyor belt, which is super, super simple, but it makes a lot of sense. Conveyor belt goes like this. You purchase an asset and you put it on the conveyor belt year one. It's moving along. It's generating some cash flow, maybe some asset management fees. So you're making a few bucks. It's not life-changing money, but it's moving down your conveyor belt. And maybe in five years, that's the time when it's going to come off the conveyor belt. You're going to cash out from raising the income, you know, the NOI of the property. And maybe that spills into two assets you put back on the conveyor belt. So the goal, obviously, is to have a lot of assets on your conveyor belt. But the second goal is to make them a little bit closer together. Because if you're waiting for a capital event every time you get paid, if the cash flow is really not you know, like changing money, you could be going five years between some of these payouts when you first get started. Once you get going, now your conveyor belt's moving along and you're generating a lot of money, right? But how do you get to that first capital event? So that's when I started realizing, you know what? I'm, I'm investing in my own deals. I'm pulling money out of my checking account. I'm pouring it into these assets. I get some acquisition fees, but basically I'm spending more into the investment than I'm getting out of it in the beginning. So I had to complement that a little bit. And so I started thinking about Ultimately, I need to invest, be an entrepreneur, but I also need to have additional income streams to support the gap in the conveyor belt assets, right? I did not want it to be a corporate job because that's not filling in the gaps. That is your conveyor belt at that point, <laughs> right? Right. So that, that's been an interesting concept. I always told myself, everything's got to be complimentary. I do not want to go take a job, say, being a management consultant, flying all over the world. If it doesn't really help me move the needle on my real estate business. So I've done some, some interesting things. One of them happens to be a coaching business. I'm just getting that off the ground. So I, I'm a coach. And the nice thing about being a coach is I can work with whoever I want, when I want, from wherever I want. And it's a nice complimentary thing that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the clients that I have and expect to have come from this space of being entrepreneurs or maybe people who are trying to leave their W-2 job to become an entrepreneur to all the things that they have to think through to get to that point. That's, that's where I live. Love it. Love it. Being very strategic and tactical at the same time. I agree. Real estate investing, especially syndicated real estate investing, the cash flows can be very lumpy and a little difficult to uh, maybe plan for in a certain sense as an investor. But hey, that's, that's another issue. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending, and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and 
Get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Tony, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Yes, sir. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Well, we can't use that one, right? I talked about the- That's Why the we take it off the table? <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I think uh, as much as I didn't realize it in the beginning, I think it was that first multifamily deal. It was a lot of my own sweat equity, uh, but I learned so much in doing that deal. We actually refied out of it twice in three years that wow. we owned it. And then when we sold it, that, poured itself into several assets thereafter and really helped me springboard into being full-time. Very cool. So we had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? That's a tough one, right? Because I feel like you can always learn something from any opportunity. I'll just go with my second multifamily deal. And, and only because Financially, it wasn't the best outcome. It was okay. We made money. Our investors made money. But we bought that three months before COVID when mm. the whole world changed and moratoriums and we couldn't get rid of people and we were just starting our repositioning strategy. And it basically set us back like, I don't know, a year and a half to two years. It, it was it was a tough go. And so maybe, you know, I'll, I'll just say that one just because it, it maybe stings a little bit, but I learned so much from that opportunity. Wow. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I've learned a lot of them. Uh, I'll just say one that's top of mind. And just given like that particular investment that I said was my worst, that when a partner shared something with me that I, I, take to heart quite a bit. And he said, you know, when you're in kind of the trenches and you're you're looking to improve the value of a property, sometimes we've got to stop trying to cut our expenses to the point where we're down to the bone and just can't cut expenses anymore. The better option is to focus on revenue because revenue solves a lot of problems. And when you focus on revenue and and your expenses basically are there to support that and you're providing good service and a good product and so forth. I mean, it, it's just so much different. When you cut expenses to the bone, you become a mom and pop operator. And that's who we buy from these days. You're absolutely right. I mean, the, essentially the sky is the limit with revenue, but expenses, you can only get so narrow and they should provide a, a value, right? Because you need air conditioning units and all that kind of thing. They're expensive. Expenses we can't do anything about to a certain certain extent. So great point. Well, Tony, thank you so much for joining us today. For anybody out there who wants to get in touch with you, wants to track you down, wants to learn more about what you're up to, where can they find you? They can always find me on my website, which is Novo, N-O-V-O, multifamilygroup.com. On the website, they can go to my contact page, reach out to me directly. 
sign up for our investor database to get uh, the latest on new opportunities. Uh, also, they can just email me, Tony, T-O-N-Y, at novamultifamilygroup.com. Great. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind. I appreciate that so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content. You're building passive cash flow and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe and catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.